Welcome to episode 31 of Climactic, your story on climate change. I'm your host, Mark Spencer, and today's show is an interview with Lee Baker, a sustainability expert based in Dandenong, east of Melbourne. This is Lee's second time on Climactic, and we're so happy to have her back. In our first episode with Lee, we learned all about Paul Hawken and Project Drawdown, which has been a very deep well for ideas and inspiration for the show. So in today's episode, we go a slightly different direction, talking to Lee about human systems, the ways in which societies and individuals make decisions and actually affect change. This was a really great chat with Lee, and I'm really excited to be bringing it to you. Just one quick note before we get into it. I sat down with Lee and had a chat for over an hour, and there's so much great stuff in here. But because some of it was very specific to Melbourne in terms of the people and the projects involved... Those references actually won't be in this show, but I am interested in maybe putting up a full-length, unedited version of that chat later on, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about that. I'm very conscious of the fact that at the moment, the bulk of our guests are coming to us from Melbourne, and I don't want to have the show become too Melbourne-centric. So, we've got a choice to make. Do we include all the references to Melbourne-specific projects or people, or do we try to steer conversations to be more broadly accessible? Personally, I'm leaning a lot more towards the first, because I want to know what's going on in the ACT, on the Gold Coast, over in Perth, everywhere around Australia and the South Pacific. I I want to know what the dynamic is actually like on the ground. To pull that off, though, we need interviewers from all of those places. We need people to step forward and say, yeah, I could have a chat with somebody doing something great in my local area. If that sounds like something you're excited to do, or you know of someone who might be excited, Just get in contact with us at hello at climactic.fm, and we'd love to have a chat with you about widening the Climactic Network. All right, so without further ado, we'll get into this interview with Lee Baker, and let me know if you liked it and if you want to hear the full unedited interview later on. Lee, thank you so much for sitting back down with me again for our our second proper episode. I know we've caught it before and I've recorded it, and (laughs) it's just been like, it's it's there in the can for for a future, but... You had some time coming into the city, and we decided we should probably reprise our first episode. People really liked hearing from you that there was things we could actually do about this situation. We don't have to be overwhelmed and hopeless. And that's just so exciting, and I, I love getting the chance to talk to you about this. So you gave me a kind of a range of options of what we could talk about. I'm so lucky to have someone like you that is is knowledgeable in these fields and has multiple things you can speak to. And so you gave me these options, and then one of them was human systems. I thought, well, I'm a human, so that sounds interesting. And and I know from like the very top level, human systems, you know, the, the systems that we humans use to self-organize into society that we use for decision-making, and it's by understanding these systems and utilizing them to actually make change. that the, That's the way we're going to get things done, not just by pointing at things and saying, that's wrong, we should change it, we actually have to address the methods whereby we would change it. 
So human systems, Lee, you want to take us through a journey? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, and this is a reflection of my journey after 20 years as IT person in Australian manufacturing. Whatever happened in a project to stop it working was never about the technology. It was always that human systems thing. Yeah, as humans, we're not really fond of change. As humans, it's sort of change equals threat. Most of the people, most of the time, that's what we're dealing with. And that's what I saw over those 20 years. There was never a technology problem. When I got hooked into the sustainability space, I saw exactly the same thing. We don't have a technology problem. What we have is a whole collection of human beings, 7.5 billion last time I looked at the number, who are doing things the way we've always done it. And it's sort of breaking. It is. I gotta say, I heard the other day someone mentioned a fan, oh, now that we're at 8 billion people. And I thought, surely that's not right. But I also didn't want to go check just in case. Like it didn't sound like it might, it, it, that might not be impossible. I, I remember as a kid saying, you know, we were at 6 billion. And now, you know, we are seven, seven point five. Yeah. So that's that's a whole lot of of cats to try to herd in the, the same direction. Yeah. And the industrial systems that we have, by and large, if you think about the production line came from Henry Ford, that's sort of nineteen twenty. There are about two billion people on the planet. In that time, it seemed like it was perfectly valid that we could extract all the resources that we wanted from the ecosystem. We could emit all the waste that we wanted to into the ecosystem and that we could exploit ecosystems and communities to get work done, to get products made, to get services delivered, and it would all be fine. And maybe it was back then. Back then, yeah, Africa was deepest, darkest Africa. It was a mystery. I don't think there's too many terrestrial mysteries left, at least on the surface of the land. Oh, it's a thoroughly conquered planet at this point, isn't it? Yeah. It's about humans and who we are and how we come together to work in systems that if we want to change the way that we do business, to do it smarter, to do it cleaner, to do it in a way that protects our future, then the challenge is not technology. The challenge is understanding humans understanding how we cooperate together in systems and understanding how we can motivate people into, yeah, I want to do this, <laughs> which is one of my old coaching trainers called the art of constructive seduction. <laughs> Great tagline. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is about. And while we work on rash assumptions like humans are logical and business makes decisions based on bottom line rational economics, we're not going to get there because business is no more rational than any other human activity. We just rationalize it a bit better. We're good at going back after the fact and pretending that was done for the right reasons. Yeah, no, but that's yeah. the neurobiology of the individual human being is that our brain runs on about the equivalent of a 40-watt light bulb. Yeah, we're biological creatures. There is not a lot of energy spare to drive our brain. It actually uses quite a lot of what we 
we put out every day. But it is of limited perception. It is layered as we have evolved over time. So the frontal cortex that can occasionally do logic is pretty limited. But most of the time, most of us operate on automatic, on very old-fashioned habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say a lot of those habits are also generated from the education we've had, which is a very... 20th century education system a lot of yeah. us have still gone through. Uh, yeah. We are preparing ourselves mm-hmm. for it. A... Yeah. And, yeah, if you think about how we learn language, if you think about where the accents that we have come from, it didn't start in school. Yeah? We learn habits of anxiety, of optimism, whatever we learned growing up. And yeah, I'm a baby boomer. I learned from my parents who grew up during the Great Depression. So they looked at my life and they said, you've got food on the table, you've got clothes on the back, you've got a roof over your head, you've got parents who are taking good care of you, you're getting an education, that's it. What else could there be to life? That's all the things we never had. And it's no wonder the baby boomers do a bit of consuming along the way. <laughs> so they're told to do. You're just living as you were taught. Yeah, so... All our attitudes, all our assumptions, our assumptions that governments run countries, that governments control business. Yeah, we, we learnt them before we had time to think of them because if we step back and examine them now, some of the assumptions that even you know, world-leading environmental campaigners run on are deeply, deeply flawed. But we've inherited them and we don't always observe them. We still think that humans are rational. I think, therefore I am, which I think was Descartes in around the 1700s. If we were rational, you would never drive past a cancer hospital and see the patients and the staff and the visitors out there smoking. Yeah, that's a beautiful example of irrationality. Yeah, it would be nice if we were, but we're not. And so people who think, well, if I just explain the facts... And if I create an understanding of this really desperate future threat, then I will influence human behaviour and people will change what they're doing. Operating on an assumption that is really not valid. We evolved on the plains of Africa, or some say Europe now, but wherever it was. Evolved on plains, we we know that (laughs) much. There was a rustle in the long grass the ones who thought, oh, that could be a saber-tooth, were the ones who survived. Mm-hmm. So we are biologically coded for anxiety. We are biologically coded to avoid sh- short-term loss. Oh, that smoking mountain on the horizon? there, eh, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Here now today, I've got to eat and I've got to avoid those saber-tooths. So that's what we've brought through with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not good, it's not bad, it just is. Yeah. Yeah, a, uh, a limited conscious processing capacity, a tendency to act on habit, on reflect, with, on reflex without reflecting. That means if you say to somebody, oh, you should do something different, they immediately go, well, what am I going to lose? particularly when you're coming from a sustainability message that for the last 30 years has been relentless in terms of something terrible is going to happen 
and people are going to have to buy less and use mm. less and business is going to have to comply more. There is no motivation mm. for your average human being in that. Yeah, that's a message that doesn't trigger any of the mm-hmm. behaviours in us. Mm. It is not appealing. It actually does the reverse. Mm. Yeah, And one of the, th- the gifts that we have and the one of the reasons that I still am relatively optimistic about what we can do is we now, like never before, have an understanding of human beings. So a guy called Martin Seligman who did some research on helplessness years and years ago. And what he found is that if you make a problem permanent and if you make it pervasive so that it's everywhere... And if you make it a personal problem as a result of the failure in the person, whether it's you greedy consumer or you evil capitalist, what you create is helplessness. And helplessness does not inspire action. It completely defeats action. (laughs) Yeah. So you look back on 1970s, 1980s messaging and you go, guys, (laughs) if you want to create action, that is not helping. So to better understand human systems, Lee, with your background in the manufacturing industry, and and you started off by saying that whenever a a new process or a change was attempted to be made and it didn't work, it wasn't a failure of the technology, it was a failure of the prepping of the people involved or failure of the the human element of that change. Mm -hmm. Can you think of an example of a successful change you saw happen that used human systems well, and maybe one that that didn't? Mm -hmm. Being human, the negative comes to mind first, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And it was years and years ago, and it was in a warehouse in a pharmaceutical company, and they were going to put in automated picking equipment, which Mm -hmm. was pretty groundbreaking in those days. So what you'd see now in like an Amazon warehouse, and we think of... Yeah, yeah, it was far less sophisticated, Mm -hmm. but it was the beginnings of that. Uh, and why they were going to do it is because they had a literacy problem in the warehouse. Okay. So they had a lot of people in the warehouse, English as second language, mm-hmm. and so they were picking orders wrong. Yep. So they put in this wonderful, amazing picking machine that was an extraordinarily complex, so it needed specialist operators, and then they neglected to work through, well, who was going to load the machine from the other side and it was going to be those same warehouse people with those same literacy issues. Which they hadn't accounted for yep. or made any... Mm-hmm. So it actually went in, it actually worked. But the amount of effort involved, and so at one level, yes, you could tick the box and say after two years, yes, it did what it was supposed to, but it was supposed to do that within 12 months. And in the meantime, they'd adjusted the success level. Mm -hmm. sounds like a very government tactic as well like oh no we cleared the bar after we lowered it yeah and and that's yeah that's just human nature we are Mm. not rational we rationalize Mm -hmm. so it's when you engage people if you tell them why are you doing what you're doing? If you engage them with what does that mean for them if you work through the process well, that means this bit of your job is going to be harder, but that means that bit of your job will become easier. Is the trade-off worth it? And give people a say, then they engage. Give no control, then you get 
it's like a human immune system at the biological level. I'll resist. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but if you push me, I'm going to push back. So knowing how to get people over that hump of being opposed to change, mm -hmm. being resistant to change, or yeah. or making it as smooth as possible. See, I think mm -hmm. in, inherently we will dig our heels in always. Yeah. Although nowadays, it, I don't want to be the one to always throw out, you know, the smartphone metaphor. It's like, oh, well, we, we are all very eager to upgrade our phones and, and change that way and have to get used to something new. Mm hmm because I guess it's going back to your constructive seduction technique of you can see all the benefits right there. You're, you are motivated to make mm -hmm. a change because it is appealing. But it's only appealing for some people. Yes. Yes, this mm -hmm. is true. I, I have a friend who's still carrying Randy's iPhone 3 really quite proudly. Yeah, good on him. Saying, yeah, this is enough for me. I just need to make phone calls. That's you great. Know, I am not seduced by the better camera or the this or the mm. that, although he occasionally plays with my phone and goes, oh, <laughs> oh I, I wish I had this That's a very good picture quality. <laughs> mm -hmm. But we have reached a tipping point, at least in that market, where the majority of people do want to upgrade. They do want the bigger, better, faster. Yeah, because somebody's told them what the benefits are. Yes. So us here working in environmental spaces and climate change circles, we need to just get better at, at saying what the benefits are and then... Absolutely. Making it easy for people to change. Yeah. Yeah. Go study marketing. Mm. Yeah. I was going to ask, you know, getting into it, like with young people listening, what's the best way to start learning about human systems? And then what are the potential applications? Because like straight away, potential applications mm -hmm. of getting people willing to make change. Well, change is a constant, even though we don't like it. Mm -hmm. And we've got a lot of change on the horizon, yeah. whether we address climate change at, at scale or not. Either way, change is locked in. <laughs> Absolutely. Barreling down the tracks at mm -hmm. us like a train. So the, the need in any potential occupation, any life from this point forward is going to need to manage change. Yeah. Even if it's just within mm -hmm. their own life or own yeah. family. And why be half-hearted? Why say let's manage change? Mm. I mean, does that sound fun? No, it's like fully ah. embrace and get the most yeah. out of change. Yeah. How do we thrive on change? Yeah, make the best yeah. change. Uh huh, and and that's where I come from in the sustainability space. It's it's like who says it's a cost? Mm. Yeah, who says it's all about us having less? But it comes from the the beliefs that we have about the systems. Like we believe that the gus the government is control. No, uh, if you think so, you go to your local member, you lobby them, they go to the party. Eventually, you get a bit of legislation through. What does that legislation probably do? That legislation says business, you've got to comply with these standards. So a CEO or a sustainability officer will eventually and reluctantly look at it, see the minimum that they can do, That's and go to an engineer or a product designer or a logistics person and say, well, what do we do about this? Mm -hmm. Now, that's sort of the long way round. I'd rather at least go to the CEO, if not to the engineer themselves, and say, you know, how can you improve your career by understanding how to work with human systems and by directing it towards some of the $74 trillion in savings available in the project drawdown research mm -hmm. or the $12 trillion of private sector opportunity available in delivering on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Let's make it interesting about 
new technology, smarter technology, and yet it's still not about the technology. Generation coming through the workforce now, into the workforce now, has an amazing opportunity to start thinking, well, what? how do I do human systems better? Uh, if I keep an eye on social media, not just for the next iPhone, but for behaviour change. If I look at systems thinking, if I look at behavioural economics that Richard Saleh recently won a Nobel Prize in economics mm-hmm. for, how can I use behavioural economics? How can I take something as boring in the 70s as Myers-Briggs personality types mm-hmm. and use that not as a labelling tool, which is how it's been abused by way too many HR departments Absolutely. to make people wrong, but say, ah, if the human race is broken into these four groups, how can I use that as a model? for how to influence each of the four different groups. If I understand that, how can I make things happen better? If I go to marketing, and marketing's a great place to start because we're all marketers in one way or another, whether it's marketing to our partner what movie that we want to see Mm -hmm. or kids marketing to their parents what holiday they want to go on or what toys they want for Christmas. (laughs) If everybody who cares about sustainability stopped going, marketing is for evil, you know, turn it to the light, Luke. (laughs) (laughs) And harness that power for good. Yeah, yeah. That is fundamental human nature and it's got a bit out of control in selling us way too many consumable products that haven't been designed into a circular economy mode where they could be infinitely remade into more consumable products and that's the core thing of consumption is that it's consumption inside a linear economy. Mine it, make it, use it, dump it, repeat yeah, it's not the consumption that's the, the problem. Mm. Like the consumption has led us to great lifestyles that we enjoy having. We're only scared of the change because we don't want to give it up. Like yeah. the lives we mm. have. You know, granted, there's there's you know there is anxiety in the workplace. People are mm-hmm. suffering mental illness and stuff. We there are downsides to life, but I personally don't want to give up most of my lifestyle. I like the mm-hmm. like, live in an apartment building and catch the train for the city yeah. and go to eat at a variety of places yeah. and. and- yeah, even your technology. Some people look at the smartphone and go, you know, look at all the resources that's yeah, using. Yeah, rare minerals, yeah, yeah, But yeah. think about maybe you you may not remember ghetto blasters and landline telephones, and you had your camera separate, and you had your Walkman separate. Yeah, and yeah, you had maybe a vinyl record player. All these redundancies. Yeah, yeah. So the one device that I'm holding up in front of you now has replaced probably between five and ten things. Yeah, it's even an encyclopedia. (laughs) Yeah. And so we've got to be able to see the reality of the human systems. We've got to understand that 35% of the human race is past focused. 35% of the human race is present focused so that's 70-75% and it's only 25% of the human race that is in any way comfortable thinking about the future. Now I'll swap models now from Myers-Briggs to one of the marketing models called diffusion of innovation. It identified five populations 
innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggards. Okay, innovators, 2.5% of the population. Early adopters, 12% of the population. And then there's the rest. So, yeah, you know, there's 15%, 85%. If you've got something new, then you've got to get it from the innovators and the early adopters who go, oh, cool, to the rest of the population who goes, you want something. Mm. <laughs> That's the skill. And we have the knowledge base. And so for young people interested in sustainability, spend 50% of your time studying circular economy and biomimicry, cradle-to-cradle product yeah. innovation. The toolkit of future yeah. innovations. And then... and then the other 50% of your time dealing with humans as they is. Mm-hmm. not as you want them to be. Mm-hmm. Because the other things that we know about the human population is about 3% are psychopathic, sociopathic to a clinical level. Wow, so there's more psychopaths than innovators. Mm. And sometimes the innovators are psychopaths, but hey. Probably, that's, that's yeah. And, it, and it's probably something in the... We're herd creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, up until uh, even 100 years ago, if we didn't belong to a family and a tribe, we died. We're still wired that way. We're still wired that the majority want to belong. Autism advocate Temple Grandin, who's on the spectrum herself, points out that it was my tribe were the weirdos who went in the corner and pounded rocks on rocks to come up with the first flint axe. Wasn't that chatting lot round the fire? Yeah. Yeah, they might have organised. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. That, and they probably gathered the food to feed the rock basher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that was the social yeah. dynamic, though, because the people who were well integrated into the group, mm-hmm. because that's where their, their power and the security was coming from, they cared a lot more about the social dynamics, mm-hmm. and just yeah. keeping up with that was, mm-hmm. was 90% of yeah. the time... Yeah. And, and so, you know... The limited mental energy was being spent on the present. Yeah, so around three-quarters of the population cares about getting on with the group, looking good, not looking bad. Who's got more power? Who's got more prestige? How do I keep in with the people mm. who have the power and the prestige? Because if I'm on the outside, I'll get bullied. Yes, that's yeah. right. We've got Which all makes that some good sense on. for the present, if the present is a sustainable one that can carry on indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're not in that state at the moment, yeah. and we're yeah. we're currently sitting on a, a cart mm-hmm. that's on a track that's leading to a yeah. cliff. We're all carrying what's going uh-huh. on the cart and not the track underneath us, not the cliff yeah. ahead of us. So those of us who are in that 15 to 25% who are thinking about the future, worrying about the future, mm-hmm. need to get a lot more skilled Yes, in changing human systems. And this is one of those things where I have my opinions on the top list of things to study Mm -hmm. and everybody will have their opinions. The important thing is that you shift your perceptual systems. How do I learn to understand people better? How do I learn to organize group interaction together? Because one of the things that we know about human perception is that what we perceive is limited by what we believe and the questions that we're asking. So if we believe that consumption is evil, then we will go looking for ways to reduce consumption. If we believe that government controls business, then we will be lobbying government. If we ask the question, 
well, who actually designed the product that's sitting in front of me now and what system is a part of, then you'd find a different target audience and they're the makers of the world and they'd probably be blown away by learning about biomimicry or cradle-to-cradle product innovation. Yeah, I was thinking about this before and you're saying, you know, do you want to go the route of lobbying government or lobbying councillor to lobby the party to make a change to tell the company to tell the engineer and when that happens because that's the way people are doing things now very well intentioned but say you do that and then that work gets dropped on that engineer's desk and to that engineer that's just some work to do they're happy to have some work to do that's fine but it's just work but if you'd taken that bright idea to the engineer directly had that conversation that's a promotion for them Mm-hmm. We've thought this great thing. Here's what we can do. The consumer's mm-hmm. going to love it because here's all the benefits, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Everyone wins quicker and more with that system. Yeah. And the other thing is that it's a message goes a long way around to the government, to the CEO, down the chain. By the time it gets down to those brilliant designers, so watered down. then it's going to be so negative and it's going to be all about scarcity. Here's what you it's have going to, to be do. all about compliance and it's going to be the goal of zero, reduce our emissions, reduce our energy use. It's not going to be design me a living building that makes more water than it uses, that makes more energy than it uses, that actually sequesters carbon instead of emitting it. It's you must cut water use by X amount, and X is the limit, is the is the lowest amount possible Mm -hmm. under the regulation. Yeah, and that's where you run into... In position. Yeah, and you also run into something called the law of diminishing returns. Because to get that last 2% or that last 1% becomes increasingly hard because you're unconsciously doing it inside of the design of the existing system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's when you start asking different questions and open it up that people go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, so the short-term is goal is zero, but the long-term is actually a building that sequesters greenhouse gases. Well, I can do that five different ways. Yes, yeah. Yeah, their eyes aren't on that ball. Yeah, so yeah, that's why living buildings is one of the drawdown coming attractions. Yes, too new to be able to quantify with existing stable data sets yet, but it's up there. And so, if if you can get to the entrepreneurs and the innovators, if you can get to the engineers who love a new challenge, I have a lot of friends who are engineers. Surprise, surprise! And one of them said to me a while ago, "You know, Lee." We love solving problems. If you give me a problem of a small scope, I will solve that problem. If you double my scope, I will go, oh, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you want. Give me the criteria for success and I will design you something that delivers on that. Mm -hmm. But you've got to give me the scope of the problem. And so while most of the designers and makers inside traditional supply chains are thinking in terms of one-way systems It's going to, and thinking in terms of reducing waste and reducing energy, they're going to be limited. Turn it around and open it up, and that's what Paul Hawkins doing with Drawdown. What did they quantify amongst everything else? $74 trillion in long-term savings from shifting to an economy that sequesters greenhouse gases instead of emitting them. What else is he quantifying? In Database 2, they have a further... 1,000 coming attractions of really powerful technology that can't be quantified yet. What else have they found out? 
one billion new jobs in the emerging sectors that are going to be more difficult to automate. So that's what he's on about. Yeah, this is not a challenge in a technology. We have the technology. And when we get smarter at changing human systems, and if we combine that smartness at changing human systems with a vision of business that regenerates ecosystems, then we end up in a whole different place and we end up with hope. And, you know, Paul Hawkins doesn't like hope. He says, hope is the pretty face of fear. What we need is fearlessness. But we end up with something to aspire to. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, 200 years ago, people got on sailing ships. They sailed around the world to the other side of the planet. They got off in west coast of the US or in Adelaide and they walked halfway across continents because they might find gold. Aspiration for something better is a fundamental human driver. And call it hope, call it fearlessness, that's what we need. Yeah, and uh, it's there in front of us if we're prepared to give up on humans being logical, humans being good, except that humans are just like weird and we're our own predators and there is no one homogenous human. There's all different sorts of humans who need different sorts of influencing and there are tools so that we can influence better and let's do the real work. Thank you so much, Flea. Okay. Pleasure. <laughs> and that was Lee Baker, sustainability and systems thinking extraordinaire. I always really enjoy getting to talk to Lee. It's a completely different perspective than I normally am exposed to, and I always feel honestly quite a bit smarter after talking to her, which is, I think, the sign of a good conversation. I hope you enjoyed that as well. If you want to hear the full interview unedited, just let me know. Drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at Climactic Show or drop me an email, hello at climactic.fm. I'd love to work out the best way to release that and maybe others in future as well. But for now, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show. That really helps other people find us. But even more important, if you liked it, please just tell a friend. Thank you so much to our guest today, Lee Baker. Thank you to Rich Bowden, our co-founder, our producer, Caleb Fidicaro, our composer, Greg Grassi, designer, Abigail Hawkins, and senior advisor, Gretchen Miller. On behalf of the whole Climactic team, have a great week, folks, and we'll see you next time. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E. Media.studio.